This is Scott Krause from Earth Crisis, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the new scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with another brand new episode. And on the show this week, we've got Brian Audley, guitar player of Incendiary. Now, I'm sure you've seen Incendiary in the news everywhere lately. They just put out their first album in six years. It's called Change the Way You Think About Pain, and it's a great record. Have you heard this thing? I defy you to listen to it and not want to flip things over in whatever room you're in. It's really good. This conversation with Brian is really good. We cover everything, the history of the band, the run of shows they did with Glassjaw fairly recently, the new record, everything, everything. And that conversation is coming up shortly. But first, here's how you can support the new scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Shirts. Pick up a shirt over at Death Wish Inc. Long sleeve, short sleeve. We've got it all. Reviews. Give us five star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And did you know that you can write a review on Apple Podcasts? If you write a nice review, I'll read it on the air. Also, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. One Line Drawing has just announced tour dates in the northeastern U.S. and Canada. If that tour is stopping in your city, I highly recommend you go see it. I saw Jonah late last year, and it was one of the best shows I saw that year. Also, One Line Drawing and the Iron Roses are playing Motor City Pride Festival. The Iron Roses play on June 10th, and One Line Drawing plays on June 11th. For more information on that fest... Head to MotorCityPride.org, and for a full list of one-line drawing tour dates, head over to their Instagram or the Iodine Instagram. Audio Karate, a show of hands EP is available now for pre-order, and the new single, A Show of Hands, is available everywhere to stream right now. Best X has a new single out, Tell Your Friends. That single is available on all streaming services. Check it out today. Why not? Sign up for the Iodine email list. You'll find out about everything first. For more information, head to the Iodine Instagram at Iodine Recordings or to the Iodine website at iodinerecordings.com. Also, don't forget to support this month's sponsor, Death Wish Inc. That's right, Death Wish Inc. I'm going to say it again. Death Wish Inc. Mad Honey have a new album coming out, Satellite Aphrodite. That'll be in stores worldwide on September 22nd via Deathwish Inc. and Sunday Drive Records. And you can hear a single from the record right now. It's called Fold, and it's on all streaming services. Check it out. You will not be disappointed. Converge, Axe to Fall, Vinyl Repress. This is one of their best albums of all time. Make sure you get your hands on that. Converge, Jane Live. It's Converge, performing Jane Doe, live at Roadburn Fest. How can you go wrong with that? 
That's out July 7th. Pre-order that. And of course, Loma Prieta, Last. That's out June 30th. I'm really looking forward to that. There's two singles out there. Listen to it. And listen to it today. For more information, head to the Deathwish Instagram at Deathwish Inc. Or to the Deathwish website at deathwishinc.com. Okay. Make sure you check back in with me in segment three. I'll catch up with you. I'll tell you how I'm doing. But right now, we are going to speak to Brian Audley of Incendiary. Enjoy. Take it, take it, take it away. Every plan I put in motion, every sacrifice I made. It stays, it stays the same. Now the sun is shining, but I'm soaked in rain. Trip it up and fill it in, but the gun it never rains. Talk about commitment, gotta make a bet. Right, we are here now with Brian Audley. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, Keith, thanks for having me, man. Yes, Brian, it's great to have you here. You know, there's many exciting things going on in your life. We've got a new incendiary record coming out, Change mm-hmm. the Way You Think About Pain, the first record since 2017. Yes, that's right. Yep, that's right. That's very exciting. We've got some select tour dates coming up, all kinds of stuff. And, Brian, we're going to get to all that. But first, let me ask you, how are you doing today? Uh, today, I'm doing, I'm doing good. Um, we actually um, just got back into New York um, earlier, around, around noon. So I don't know, we're, it's about five or six hours ago. Um, we were in Atlanta um, this weekend playing House of Disorder Fest. So we had a set on Sunday night. It was awesome. Got to play a couple new songs live. It was, it was really fun and, and cool and, and, and gratifying seeing some of those new songs. Um, already begin to um to get to get a response from from some folks we flew back today so apologies if my if my voice might be a little a little hoarse from um all the yelling and um and fun from this weekend but but i'm doing good we're back in new york now ready to rock that's awesome who else played that fest who are some big names um so our day um no pressure headlines um fury from the west coast was out there playing a rare show they don't i don't think those guys play too much anymore magnitude raw brigade um, life's question, um, whole, whole bunch of bands. It was cool. Pain, wow. Pain of truth, I think headlined, or I know headlined, um, Saturday, but unfortunately we weren't, uh, we weren't able to make that. Did you take today off of work at least? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm back, back at it tomorrow, but today, today I had a, you know, we had to fly back home and then, you know, had to decompress a little bit. You got to give yourself that day buffer. Yeah. I've gotten a lot better about that. We used to do things at a ridiculous breakneck, um, pace and scheduling. I mean, out of, out of necessity, like, you know, driving home overnight and like 
pulling up to an office on no sleep and, and going in for the day. But, you know, we've gotten better about, you know, treating ourselves a little better and trying to enjoy it a little more. Do you still have to go into the office for your job? Not a whole lot. My office is in is in Lower Manhattan. I'm in North Brooklyn, so it's it's not too much of a journey anyway. But no, nah, you know, I've been I've been work from home for like like most people for about three years now. I you know I go in when it makes sense, a little less than once a week, maybe two or three times a month. But uh, I you know I enjoy it when I do, and there's a reason to be there. But otherwise, I'm very very thankful of the uh, the work from home situation. Yeah, me too. It's a it's a godsend. I don't ever want to go back. I was working remote even before the whole pandemic thing, so I I'm just locked in. Yeah, yeah, you already had the playbook. Were you so were you working remote that was a res, as a result of COVID? Yeah, yeah. I mean, otherwise it was a full-time, you know, 9 to 6 in the office um full-time gig. Oh. Yeah, o- always has been for my whole career, yeah. What do you do? Um I work in advertising technology kind of the best way to describe it. The fact that you're remote now, does that allow you to do more with incendiary? Yes, <laughs> definitely. Um, you know, the a lot of the, you know, um, writing um, happens like kind of spontaneously, you know, where previously, if I had an idea or something popped into my head, I would have to like, you know, hum it into the, you know, voice notes app on my phone so I didn't forget it. Whereas now in a work from home environment, I can like turn around, pick up a guitar and like, you know, get it recorded into the computer before I forget or just, you know, be able to work on things for a longer time and, um, you know, just be, be more in control of, of my time and my schedule. It definitely opened up a lot of a lot of time to be able to work on music and, and do things for incendiary. Do people at work know about the band? Yeah. Um, you know, I used to keep it pretty close to the chest and pretty private for, for a lot of reasons. Um, but, you know, with, I've been working with the same company with a lot of the same people for, for a few years now, and it, inevitably it comes out, you know, and unfortunately everybody's is pretty supportive of it. You know, I don't expect anybody to kind of understand it, but, um, everyone is supportive of it. They're always asking me questions, especially when I'm traveling. Um, so yeah, you know, um, they are, I'm, I'm in a, in a fortunate position where people are, are interested in, and supportive of it. That's good. Does it ever get cringe? Like, so, I don't know, sometimes if I'm talking to people about this music and they don't know it or understand, like I'll explain the bands and they never know what the band is. And then I have to repeat the band name like two times. Yeah, and it's a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, I mean, definitely. But I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've mastered that talk track and how to position it in a way people will hopefully understand, you know, I can usually start pretty abstract and okay. Have you heard Rage Against the Machine? If yes, we'll kind of go from there. Um, but I, I honestly, like I still try to minimize it around work. I don't want to be the guy that's talking about their band all the time anywhere because that guy is usually pretty lame. And, you know, I don't want people to think my, my head somewhere else and I'm not, you know, focused on, on my career while, while I'm, while I'm there. So I try to, I still try to keep it pretty private and minimal and, and keep the conversation moving when it, when it does come up. Yeah. Yeah. Rage Against the Machine is like a savior as far as mainstream music goes. Cause it's like, it's like the closest band you can point to, to give people an idea of what we're up to. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, the other thing is like, I found that like giving them less information is almost better because whatever they think I'm doing is probably more acceptable than what I'm actually doing to, to someone that's <laughs> uninitiated. So, um, yeah, I kind of, I'm, I'm pretty coy about it and, and, and do try to keep it pretty, pretty quiet. Has anyone at work ever looked up the band and then come back and said, wow, you're really up to some, uh, crazy shenanigans there. Um, yeah, kind of <laughs> semi-frequently, <laughs> um, a little less actually in the work from home thing. Cause you just 
kind of interact with less people um, indirectly than you would in an office. So I guess maybe that's one of the silver linings of, of the pandemic is people who, you know, don't know me already around the workspace aren't trying to find out any more about me or don't even know I exist there. So it's kind of, um, maybe it's minimized some of that. Yeah. A lot of those small conversations are gone, which is, I guess it's good and bad, but like mostly good. You know, I went into the office, I don't know, two times last year. So there's not as much conversation as there used to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we definitely, the, the culture aspect has definitely changed a lot and deteriorated a lot, but you know, in some ways, I think it's kind of helped people, or in a lot of ways, it's helped people kind of, you know, keep their work in a healthier place and, you know, manage it. And yeah, just be, just keep it in a healthier place. So it's not this all consuming full-time thing. And you can kind of tune out, tune out and turn off and, and, and keep it, you know, keep it in the laptop and not take it home with you. Researching about the band, I was somewhat surprised that it's never been a full-time band because any band on the level of incendiary, I assume, did a full-time grind or is doing a full-time grind or is just out there touring all the time. But you guys haven't done that, right? Nope. Um, no, this band was a, I'll say part-time because to us, it does feel very full-time. But yeah, it, it was always just been, how do we do as much as possible within our you know commitments and obligations in life, um, which you know, doesn't allow for extensive touring, but, you know, we do, we do try to cover as much ground as possible and, and put as much energy and time into the band as possible. I feel like the landscape has changed in a good way because a band like yourselves, you know, it's a good story. Like you said, I guess technically it's not full-time because you're not out there touring 300 days a year, but every spare moment that you guys have, I'm sure most of that is going into the band. So it's full-time in that sense, but yeah, look what you can accomplish now with uh, the internet and social media and targeted tour dates and everything else. So even if we're a little older and even if we can't be out there touring 300, 350 days a year, a, a lot can still be done. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm actually glad you said that. Yeah. I think there's this, this wasn't like a, like a strategy to like not play shows, you know, the, the strategy internally is like we're to us, it feels like we're doing as much as possible and extremely busy and busting at the seams. Um, whereas, you know, I, I've gotten some feedback from, from peers and friends and other bands and stuff of like, oh, you guys got it all figured out. We, we want to do the incendiary model. And like, you know, I think that's, um, you know, I'm flattered that, that they look, look at, our, at what the way we do things as, you know, something that, you know, something that, that may work for them. But, you know, it, this isn't like a, a strategy of like how to play as little as possible and get a maximum return. Our intent and our strategy is play as much as possible. Um, which, you know, unfortunately with, with our obligations outside of the band only usually amounts to, uh, to a handful of shows a year and some more sporadic dates here and there. Yeah. So to you guys, that's full time. That's everything you can do. Yeah, that's it. And it's not like you can plan that like, oh, we're going to, we're going to, uh, start this band. We'll get to 3 million plays by year five, and then we'll play these key dates per year. Like you can't plan that. These things happen organically. Yeah, it was very organic and it was very slow, <laughs> um, extremely slow. I'm, I'm not sure if um, people may may understand, you know, how long Incendiary has been a band. It's, a, I think, over 15 years at this point. Um, 2007, was, you guys got started, right? Yeah, yep. And we played years worth of, you know, bad shows, very little interest um, outside of, you know, some, some very local and regional interest. And, you know, we just didn't, we just didn't want to, we didn't turn things down and kind of, 
you know, accept that we were quote unquote, just a local band. Like if we would get an offer to, Hey, come up to, to Haverhill, Massachusetts and play at anchors up. We're like, all right, well, let's see if we can do that. And you know, that would, you know, eventually the radius of that would expand a little bit and we would always just try to push and try to make it happen and not just, you know, be complacent with, no, we don't tour. So we can't accept this offer. It's like, well, maybe can let's, let's think about it. Let's figure it out. If we take off a Friday and, and drive all night, we can get back in time for Monday. Yeah. Maybe we can make it down to, I don't know, North Carolina on a weekend or something. So um, again, yeah, it was to us and and our, our strategy, if there is one is to, to just push it as hard as we can in our free time, because playing hardcore shows is like what this band was built on and what is still kind of like the most important, um, you know, that's, that's why we do it is to be able to, ha- to have those opportunities and, and, and keep getting cool offers to play new places and play to places where, you know, we enjoy playing and we know people there enjoy, enjoy seeing us and, and coming out. So it's, it's about keeping that sustainable and, um, you know, being able to do that as long as we can. So how do we get started? It's 2007. We're in Long Island. Yes. That's right. How do you know the other guys? How do we meet? How does it get started? Um, so Brendan had actually started the band with a handful. Brendan is our, our vocalist. He had started the band with a handful of other guys that we were friends with. Um, just, you know, from, from shows, from, from school, from the neighborhood, from the area, the larger kind of Smithtown uh, area in Suffolk County. He'd started the band and the band had a demo. The other guys that he was doing it with, um, people were moving. People weren't as, you know, um, committed and, and interested in doing the band in the capacity that Brendan wanted. Uh, shortly after, um, you know, the f- three of us being myself, Rob, our other guitar player, and uh, and Dan Lamelli, our drummer, we all came on board. Um, just, you know, when Brendan was looking for people, we were hanging out all the time anyway. And it felt really natural. Um, I had some material that I, I was playing in another band called Soldiers for a while. Um, and I had some material that wasn't really a fit for Soldiers, but could be for something else, something a little more a little more 90s, a little more dissonant, a little more angular. Um, and then that's what ended up going into the Amongst the Filth 7-inch. And that's the first release. That was our first 7-inch. Um, that's the first release release that has... Um, you know, for the four members that are still in the band today um, on it and kind of like the real jumping off point for the band. So where are you playing in the early days? Are you Long Island? Are you playing in the city at all? Yeah, um, Long Island a bunch. I mean, that was really the the goal. Like we had all <clears throat> we had all been doing bands in different capacities and toured in different capacities. Um, and we were starting to slow down that that part of our lives. We were getting careers and getting apartments and you know building relationships um so the the full-time touring aspect of it was slowing down but i mean we all still like this is all we do right like we still wanted to write songs be part of the conversation at home play with our friends bands at home um play with our friends bands when they who are on tour when they come through long island um we just we were still active and we still wanted to be part of the whole thing so yeah we play long island a lot we we did play Brooklyn, Queens, and the city um, a fair amount for a band of our, um, again, li- limited interest, we'll call it at that point. But, you know, it was, we were scrappy. You know, we didn't really turn much down. Like we would play, you know, shows in Queens, shows in Brooklyn, some shows in the city, um, and really just try again, just trying to say, say yes to as much stuff as possible. Yeah, it's so hard to find 
people on the same wavelength as you, multiple people, especially in a band, because I don't know, it just seems like there's always a roadblock. One guy can't do it. One guy's married. One guy has kids. So you're just limited in what you could do. So it's it's always a, a miracle when it comes together and everyone's on the same page and we can just keep running for this thing. Yeah. I mean, that's really the key. And the only thing that has made this work for, for as long as it has is everybody being on that same page. Um, even as they everyone's lives continue to evolve and move on to, to different chapters, um, everyone's still, this is a priority in everybody's life. Everybody makes the time for it. And it's because we we love doing it. It's the only thing all of us like really care about, really enjoy. It's very fulfilling, very validating. And it gives us, you know, some of the, some of the best opportunities and best experiences we've ever had in our lives. And we get to, you know, share them all with, with each other who are best friends still, you know, 15 years into this. Um, so we're, yeah, we're really fortunate for all that. So how old are you when that seven inches out that has the original four members, when things really start to get going, how old are you at that time? Um, I'm like, I'm trying to remember, (laughs) remember when that came out came out in 2008. So I am 24. Yeah. So at 24 years old, you're, you are already settling into a career and getting an apartment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And can- candidly, I mean, I felt uh, almost felt a little late um, for, for us, you know, I was definitely overstaying welcome, um, living at my parents' house that long. Um, I'm a, I'm impressed because I, I was fucking around until I was like 29. You know, I, I moved out when I was 21 and I, I would always have a bunch of roommates, but I didn't start taking any kind of career seriously until I was, I don't know, 28, 29, 30. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's tough on Long Island too, because like opportunities to live, on your own and apartment housing situations that are affordable um, for young people on Long Island are very few and far between, um, which is why, you know, some of us started migrating closer to the city. Brendan was living in Queens for a while and then, and then Bushwick. And then, you know, over time, more of us had moved closer to the city for, you know, work and, and, and housing opportunities. But yeah, I mean, we had started, we had, we were, we, I fucked around a lot (laughs) um, right after college. Um, I was, touring with um my friend's band called this is hell um i hit the road with them just roadieing you know tour managing merch stuff um for about two years did several full u.s tours um went to europe with them and they were like pounding the pavement man they were the one they were out there putting in the work on the road you know seven eight nine months a year um and i was along for that for that whole ride so i i after i graduated college I definitely fucked around for a good a good two years or so, um, but like I mentioned earlier, like when we, I kind of realized like I need to slow that down and kind of establish and build my own life now. Um, being you know doing hardcore and being in a hardcore band and participating in the Long Island hardcore scene, which is something that is incredibly important to me, was still a priority. So I needed to find a way to keep that part of my life, and what that turned into was was incendiary and, and, and the perfect fit, both sonically and with, um, you know, the schedule that, that we wanted to keep. So there's still a number of years before we get to the first full length and uh, signing with closed casket. So what'd you do? Did you just keep playing shows anywhere you can get an offer? And how, I mean, how far would you guys travel to play? Yeah, basically. I mean, um, so there was before the first, um, before the first full length on closed casket before cost of living, we did do an LP before that um, called crusade, which came out in 2011, I believe 2009. Oh, wow. Jesus. That was way off. Um, <laughs> it came out in 2009. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did an LP. Um, 
we did, you know, some DIY touring, um, you know, say under the same, you know, circumstances though, we'd get an email to, Hey, you want, you know, do you want to come play Orlando? And we're like, Hey, fuck it. Like, let's try to make that happen. Like we have like a North star to kind of base this whole thing around. Let's try to fill in some dates and do it on our own. So yeah, we were doing some, some DIY touring. Um, you know, again, nothing extensive, maybe, you know, seven days, um, seven dates at a time or something like that. Um, and yeah, just trying to play as much as possible. By then we had started to get a little bit of traction at home. You know, some of our original songs were getting reactions, not just some of the covers we would sprinkle in to the shows just to, uh, to get some people warmed up to us. So we were, we were beginning to get some traction. Um, but man, I mean, the short answer to all that is we were playing a ton of bad shows, like more, <laughs> bit more bad shows than I think it like would have broken most bands to be honest. But we, again, we were just stubborn. We loved doing it regardless of the reaction we were getting. We loved hanging out with each other and getting to travel and, and fuck around on the weekends. So, um, you know, we kept doing it longer than, than many others might've survived. Um, and then, you know, when cost of living came out, um, that was really night and day. Um, the band before and after that were extremely different things and the opportunities we were get, we got were extremely different. And that was really a huge turning point for the band. And that's what you have to do. You know, I made the mistake when I was younger, I, I'd be, I would think like, oh, I don't want to play these bad shows. We need to be playing like good shows with good bands at good venues. But I didn't realize you have to like put in the work for those things to happen. Like whatever show you're playing, you got to win that crowd over and then you move up to hopefully something bigger. Yeah. And we would, and we would get chances too. like, you know, the promoters who were, who were booking on long Island and, you know, even in the city in Brooklyn at that point, like they would, they would offer us some, some cool shows. And again, we were just trying to say yes to as much as possible, but <clears throat> yeah, there was a lot of, we were met with a, uh, you know, limited, limited warmth when we first, when we first started. And like, you know, the, the, the type of hardcore we were doing wasn't really, wasn't really that popular at the time, you know, like a little more heavy metallic nineties influenced hardcore. Like, you know, there was a few bands like shipwreck and foundation. Um, those are the bands where we were kind of like, Oh shit. Like other bands are like, get it and are influenced by the sound and are kind of like bringing it back and drawing influence from the things that we're influenced by. So, um, there was, there was a few, but like by and large, like our style of hardcore, like wasn't extremely, uh, wasn't extremely popular, um, at the time. What was popular at the time? Because I, you know, I was like drifting for a while. I was listening to a lot of post rock and I didn't get back into heavier stuff, more heavier stuff, I guess, until around 2016, 17. But, uh, and now, uh, heavier metallic stuff is, definitely back in which i'm happy about because that's my that's my shit but what was like what was popular back in the early days of incendiary yeah so it was like you know when we were started when we were starting off in like you know 2000 pre-2010 or, or right around there um you were kind of seeing the tail end of like the more melodic type hardcore stuff like the excuse me the modern life is war type like epic sounding hardcore for lack of a better term maybe um, like have heart stuff yeah, like that yep yeah, yeah exactly um, okay that's a great great reference point actually um so that stuff was kind of like winding down while the more uh new york hardcore um mad ball influenced hardcore was starting to starting to kind of rise so we were kind of like right at that uh intersection point and i mean fortunately now that i kind of think about it like we were um we were pretty well embraced by the New York sounding stuff um, by the OGs too. Like we, we would get 
opportunities to play with mad ball and we were invited to play the black and blue ball at webster hall um more than once i think two if not three times um and you know so we we were being embraced by the the new york stuff that was that was starting to to come into popularity and even even the more local bands like like backtrack is is the best example um backtrack and, and incendiary started around the same time we kind of came up doing a lot of the same things together playing a lot of those bad shows together um and they were the ones that were able to kind of take it and hit the road with it and get it out there and really kind of fly the flag for long island and what was happening on long island at that time um while we were you know doing the best we could at home and uh you know in places that were a, a four or five hour drive away from us you said early on the reception wasn't completely warm. What was it? Was it the scene? Was it this melodic thing was still happening? Was it that you guys were just new? Like, what was it? Yeah, I mean, I don't want I don't think it was people disliked us. It was just like kind of like ambivalence and indifference. And yeah, it was just a lot of taking what we could get in terms of shows, which weren't always, you know, weren't always big ones. Yeah, it's weird. It just takes, I think sometimes it takes like uh someone else mentioning you or like uh, you get on a big show and suddenly people are paying attention, right? It's like sometimes I'll mention to people like, hey, I do a podcast and I talk to these bands and they're like, oh, that's great. I don't care. But then they'll hear about it from someone else and they're like, oh, that's you. Yeah. And I'm it's like, like validating. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, see, I told yeah. you. I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll bring them up again, but Backtrack was definitely um, a big supporter and advocate for Incendiary. Again, they were they were out there hitting the road building relationships in, you know, scenes that were pretty, um, hard to break into and be accepted by, like they, they helped us get over, um, and get, get opportunities to play in like Richmond and Atlanta. Like, again, traditionally, like those scenes are, are, have always been strong and always produced bands that, that incendiary has always looked up to. Um, but you know, without having someone kind of vouching for you, it could, it can be tough to get them, get a scene like that to take a chance on you. And they really helped us kind of um have scenes like that warm up to us and 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 give us some opportunities to play there so it's still like that it, as far as the scene goes because i know when i was coming up in the late 90s early 2000s you know it was like uh pure quote unquote pure hardcore like the new york hardcore stuff the real tough stuff versus the crossover stuff and the crossover stuff was looked at as not real hardcore and and in philadelphia especially it was hard to like break into that scene unless you knew somebody or you sounded a certain way so i guess it's still like that to a degree huh i don't know if i would i'm not going to comment if it's still like that cuz i mean we're talking about 10 years ago at this point ah uh, um, yeah it, it it was it was more like that back then but um you know now like i'd be hesitant to comment again we don't i'm not going to say we're like actively we're not out there enough to kind of really observe what's going on in these in these other scenes so i'd be hesitant to, to speak on it yeah in my mind 2010 is like still new you know yeah it is not my friend <laughs> we are we are old <laughs> yeah like my perception of time is so messed up i feel like 2010 was like five years ago yeah right <laughs> but not the case so we're plugging along we're playing shows we're getting out there how do we get the attention of closed casket yeah so um the closed casket relationship was, um, you know, I think we were both kind of like looking at each other at the same time. I remember, um, Brendan met someone that was friends with, um, Justin who runs closed casket, um, locally in Brooklyn and, you know, kind of was put onto the label and we, we started following it just in the sense of like, this seems like a good fit for us. Like, 
They don't do a lot of releases, but the releases they do, they put a lot into. Everything looks great. Everything sounds great. It's presented in a very professional and buttoned up manner. Um, and you know, it doesn't seem like they have expectations for touring. They kind of just want to put out things that they believe in and care about. So we, we were both kind of looking at each other and, um, you know, after crusade, the only opportunities we really had to release new music, what came in the form of, of split seven inches. So we released between crusade and, and cost of living, we released three split seven inches with three different bands on three different labels. And people might think that's crazy and maybe it is, but again, we were, we were scrappy and we were trying to take whatever we could get. And at the time, that's all the attention and interest we had. Like, yeah, we'll do two songs for you and see how it does. Um, so the first one was with um, our friend's band, Suburban Scum from New Jersey. The second one was with a band called Unrestrained from, I think, Portland, Oregon, definitely Pacific Northwest, that um, a label that that we had met from uh, from upstate New York had had taken some interest in. And then the third one was from uh, from Justin at Closed Casket Activities. And that was kind of like, the that was, or not kind of, it was the start of our relationship. It's like, okay, let's do a split seven inch, see how that does. And then, then, and then see what we can do, um, see what it looks like down the road. And that's what, you know, became our split seven inch with Zabalba, a band that we became very fast friends with, still are friends with, you know, really see a lot of each other, or see ourselves, a lot of ourselves in them and the way that we've kind of done our bands and, and grown our bands. But yeah, that seven inch did well. Everybody was happy with it. And that kind of led into uh into an opportunity to to do an lp for for cost uh, for a closed casket which was uh which was cost of living oh nice yeah so you you just gotta get out there and put out what you can with whoever you can Bas- yeah again it's just like saying yes trying to say yes to as, as much as possible and take take opportunities and yeah i mean i i, I almost miss it a little bit because we were so scrappy and just like we didn't overthink anything it's just can we hey this this guy wants to do this. Are we down? Yeah, fuck it. Let's try to make it work. Like we were, we were very scrappy, um, and you know, just just trying to say yes to as much as possible. It's strange how it works. You know, in the earlier days, you're doing more work, right? You're you're out there a lot more, but somehow it's simpler. And now later, I you know, decisions are much bigger. Even though you're probably playing less shows and releasing less music. Yeah, yeah, because but you know, there's a. The, the stakes just feel a little higher. You know, you have, we have an expectation that we want to live up to and we're always trying to like improve and like refine our sound both on the records and in the live show. So, you know, it, it, the stakes just feel higher. You know, it's where we've been a band for over 15 years and, you know, we're like trying to make sure that we're giving people who still want to come out and see us and who still support us like a reason to, keep it fresh and keep it interesting and keep putting something out there that's that's quality and delivering it in a way that it needs to be delivered with urgency and with energy well it's working because you know during my research i watched a video of you guys from last year i think and uh i was amped (laughs) nice yeah the crowd was too (laughs) yeah yeah we still got it man i feels um it, it feels good we're definitely you know, getting, a, we're getting, we're getting older, but you know, I don't, we're definitely not getting slower. And I think that was really kind of the, that was really kind of the goal and the vision going into, into the record we just recorded was to take it in a more aggressive and abrasive and um, energetic direction. So after the band releases cost of living, I, I assume we see a pretty big jump. Yeah. Like I said, it was really like, um, it was really night and day after that, the response, I mean, 
nobody was expecting it to to land as well as it did with as many people. We started getting offers from every festival that was going on at the time, which allowed us to, you know, cover a lot of ground and um, make it to a lot of places that we honestly never thought this band would go to, based on the on the strength and the response of that record. <clears throat> and you know, we used to have a very nihilistic approach to it. Um, back then and i think we we still do to an extent but you know i remember getting offered uh rainfest which was a big fest they used to do in seattle which was honestly one of my favorites of of all the fests we played i have extremely fond memories of, of that fest every year that we were part of it and just thinking like you know flying out there and being like well never thought we'd play here to begin with and we may never be back here again so if anybody f- cares about these songs like this, this might be it um and i think we kind of carry that energy with us a lot around around the cost of living stuff. And I think that really kind of helped drive some of that that urgency I was talking about with like how we want this material to be delivered live. Wow. Yeah. That's like a great approach. It's like we're we're on this wave. We don't know how long it's going to carry us. We don't know how long we can do it. So we just got to give it our our all. Yep. Yeah, that was really it. And that was basically the the mentality and the and the outlook for most of the cost of living era, quote unquote. And still there's still a degree of that in the way that we we carry ourselves now for sure do all the guys work full-time gigs like you yep always have um again yeah like the band is you know we've always been on the same page but like it there's never really been a a change in uh there's never really been a change in our obligations or or commitments outside of this um you know we started the band under a certain set of circumstances and those circumstances are largely still you know what we what we build around and, and base our schedules around now. That's pretty amazing, considering how long you've been a band, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's getting a little it's getting a little different now. People are buying houses and, and starting to have kids, and that obviously changes things. But you know, that's life, and it just makes the time that we are able to put into it that much more special when we can get together and play. I discovered the band, I think, in two thousand eighteen. I there was a period where I wasn't listening to a lot of music, and I wasn't listening to a lot of heavy music. And I was also just in bad shape mentally and everything else, you know, kind of isolated. And then once I snapped out of that, uh, I would just dig into Spotify and Spotify radio. And I remember hearing Thousand Mile Stare and Front Toward Enemy. Now, that is the jam right there. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, it's like one of your most popular songs I can see on Spotify numbers. So I guess a lot of people agree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually glad you mentioned that. <clears throat> um We've been closing our set with um, literally the same song from Cost of Living, um, which is Primitive Rage, for since it came out. <laughs> um, it had a, um, it, it was getting a big reaction live, and we were kind of like, kind of painted into a corner <laughs> in a certain capacity because it's like we can't really put this anywhere else because then the rest of the set is just going to be anticlimactic. But literally Sunday for the first time. We're like, we're, we're doing it now. New record, like we're playing Primitive Rage early in the set and we're closing with Front Toward Enemy because we got to push the new stuff. And like, we feel like that song has kind of earned that spot now. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah, literally uh, two days ago was the first time we switched up the set list um, with, our, with our closing track for the first time in years. Um, and it was, it was to, kind of, to kind of put Front Toward Enemy in that spotlight. Uh- Good choice. Good choice. Yeah, it worked, man. I couldn't couldn't have been happier. All of us were were very, you know, we were a little, you know, 
all right, I guess we got to do it. Let's see. And then it, it made sense and it felt really good after it. We were all very happy with it. Yeah. I mean, there's a new record now. Like, I feel like you have to make those changes, right? Because we got to get people onto the new stuff and we have to move forward. I totally agree. Yeah. And, you know, I, I look at it as like kind of like chapters now. Like I, each record has like its own, <clears throat> excuse me, like, uh, you know, unique color identity and the way that we kind of roll, roll it out. Like I wanted to, to feel like like a new chapter for the band. Is there any blowback from fans for that change? Like, did, is anybody like, oh man, I want this to be the song? Like, do, do you hear any of that? Nah, I mean, I, I don't. Um, not, it's not to say it doesn't happen or it's out there, but I, I don't. I, I just base it on what the, the response is live. You know, if we played that song and it absolutely bombed at the end and, you know, um, maybe we'd reconsider, but it definitely it definitely held its weight. Has that ever happened where you arrange the songs in a certain way and you just see that it's not working, so you got to go back to the drawing board? Um, it has, but you know, candidly, the fact that we don't um, play that many shows doesn't really give us enough time to like test material. You know, like if we were on like a thirty day full US tour, we could like rotate in different songs and see how they do. But you know, we have to take a pretty conservative approach to the set to maintain the energy and kind of go go with the songs that we know connect with people live um because we don't really have the the luxury of time to be able to to test things out i mean that's one of the things i'm most excited about for the new record is to to start you know experimenting with that a little bit and sprinkling in some new songs into the set again on uh on sunday in atlanta we played echo of nothing for the first time live and man it's just like a you know, I, I, it's, it's nice having that feeling again of like the little bit of nerves doing something new. It keeps you more engaged in the set um, when you have something new to do. And it was really interesting and, and very validating seeing, you know, these new songs already begin to, to get a response from, from people in the crowd. I love that. Yeah. How do you, uh, how do you decide what you're going to put into the set uh, before you have a chance to see reactions live? Do you just go by the vibe of the song when you guys are practicing it and like how it feels to everybody? Uh, yeah, it's, I don't even know if it's that, that strategic. I mean, now it's literally like, well, these are the, these are like the quote unquote singles from the new record. So these are the ones that, you know, people have had an opportunity to hear um, now. So, so now is the test to see if it connects live. I'm not sure how we'll, how we'll approach that with the new record. You know, it's definitely, we're going to have to make some, some tough choices and, you know, start, uh, you know, swapping out some older songs for some of the newer ones, um, which is something I always kind of took pride in. Like our sets always had a pretty comprehensive uh, coverage of, of all of our releases. We would still play songs from, from some of our splits. We would play songs from, you know, at least three uh, or two of the three existing LPs um, at every show. But, you know, the set's still only going to be 30, 35 minutes. And now we got 10 new songs to play with. So we're going to have to make some, start making some, some hard choices. When you have 2 million, 3 million, 4 million plus plays on songs, on streaming services, as you guys do, how does that translate? Does it, uh, I mean, you're on the label, so I assume you have a booking agent and you have a lot of connections, but does, does that translate into anything? Now we know it doesn't translate into money, right? Because Spotify doesn't pay anybody except Drake, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, But do you get any like strange offers or good offers or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, we're really starting to see the impact of the the playlist effect when it comes to Spotify <clears throat> as we're releasing these new songs. I mean, again, I, me I mentioned I work in, you know, advertising technology. So like, you know, following data and like letting data tell a story <clears throat> is kind of like what I do professionally. And, you know, getting to see that paired with 
music, let alone my music, is kind of like this intersection of of two things I like I really care about. So seeing the effect um, that things like that have on on music and and artists and streams is is pretty interesting. You know, thankfully, this is not you know, incendiary is not something that any of us are doing for or relying on for income. So it's kind of just you know about about growth and and getting seeing how many people we can get this music in front of, but. Man, it is it is pretty wild seeing like the impact that getting on a playlist or two will have to the uh, to the amount of people that that your song gets in front of. Yeah, I can. I'm looking at it right now. I can see that people really love the new single "Bite the Hook," right? Yeah, that was the first one that we released um, when we announced the record. So that one's been out for um, a little over a month now, I think. Yeah, yeah. I w- I was just listening to it earlier today, and I wanted to flip things over in my room. So uh, that's what it's all about. It's great working. job. Thank you. <laughs> so we have the new album coming out, Change the Way You Think About Pain, which is coming out May 26th. Yes? That's correct. Yes, on Closed Cast Connectivities, of course. Um, this is the first new album since 2017. Mm-hmm. What have you guys been up to? What's going on now? Were we delayed by COVID? Were we busy with other stuff? Tell us the story. Um, yeah, I mean, with the way incendiary, you know, runs, runs our bands, um, you know, we don't really, <clears throat> you know, adhere to traditional album cycles or calendars or, or things like that. So, you know, we, we put out records when we feel like we have something to say, when we feel like we have material that's um, strong enough and, and ready to be, to be shared and, and, and put out there. Um, and, you know, if anything, I think COVID and the pandemic um, may have, in some ways accelerated the release of, of this record. I'm not so sure there would have been a fourth LP if not for, you know, us having the time to put in or putting the, putting the time that we were putting into live shows, um, putting that into writing and rehearsing and, and coming up with new music, you know, cause that's like a decision we would have to make when we would commit to doing a record. Like, okay, if we're going to do this, then that, you know, once a week practice for the next show, that has to be a writing practice. So that means we're not taking on shows while we get this done. Um, so when there was no shows to speak of, it allowed us to kind of put that same energy into, into writing and rehearsing um, and getting this material together and before we knew it, we had enough. Uh, we had enough for an LP. We felt strongly about the material. It was coming out. Um, it was coming out in the in the vision and, and within the goal that I had in mind. Um, and yeah, it all it all just felt right. That's awesome. Yeah. Did were you writing before the pandemic, or was it were you just focusing on practicing and playing shows? A little bit. Um, yeah. I mean, kind of like always writing, right? Like always coming up with little riff ideas and, and trying to document things and <clears throat> making notes and things that you want to come back to. So kind of kind of like always writing, but yeah. Without without the shows, you know, that practice, you know, practice used to be or could at times feel like an obligation. You know, like oh, we got the show coming up. All right. Thursday night, let's get together, put together a set. Everybody's tired from working all week. Um, you know, it's not it's not always a, a good conducive to to being creative in a in a situation like that. But you know, again, you take shows out of the equation, and no one had even really hung out with each other in, in a while because of the pandemic. You know, practice quickly became like the the most fun and exciting thing any of us had going on at all during that time. So we were really coming into it with a uh, with with a lot of energy and a lot of uh, a lot of enthusiasm for it too. That's awesome. Yeah, I get what you're saying about the scheduling. Like the way my life is built, if I'm going to introduce something new, something else is going to have to stop. Be- yeah, exactly. Well said. 
Yeah. How do you guys write? How does it start? Do you send things back and forth online at all? Do we just get together in the room and write? How does it work? We're definitely not a get in the room and see what happens band. Um, like jamming just doesn't work for us. Um, it's, and, and it's, again, it's like a time thing. Like we have to be efficient um, with the time that we, we put aside for this. The way it works, usually we'll come in with an idea, um, a riff, a skeleton of a song, um, show it to everybody. And then, you know, the other guys will kind of help fill in the blanks and, and help help connect the pieces together and, you know, fl- and flesh it out from there. Um, this one in particular, um, you know, Dan, our drummer and I started getting together in June of 2020. Um, once things in New York started feeling a little safer and we were kind of more comfortable with seeing each other, Dan and I started getting together in, in June and working on some of the material I'd put together and, and a few of the ideas that were kind of out there, you know, before everything closed down and worked on it for, you know, basically until like the end of the year or so. And then around, you know, the other guys were coming like once in a while, but Dan and I were the ones who were really kind of like at, going at it every week. Um, and then around November, December, towards the end of the year, then the other guys started coming more, uh, more regularly and, and participating more regularly. And that's when we really kind of committed to, okay, we got like five or six right now. Like, let's do it. Let's commit. And let's say we're doing an LP and, and get this across the finish line. Um, so that's kind of when it really started to, uh, to to take shape and become like a real thing. So when you and Dan are working on stuff, you know, hashing out the the skeleton of this thing, does it ever get difficult when you're the other guys come in and everybody's throwing in uh, different ideas? Um, yeah, it can be. Um, you know, I am. <laughs> I admit I get very married to to my ideas, and you know, um, I feel when I feel strongly about something, like I have a hard time letting it go or, or compromising, and it's also because like you know, I feel like, like before I bring things in, like I really refine it a lot on my own. Like I'll try it every different way. And then I'll land on something and be like, this is to me, this is the best way to to execute it, to execute the idea. And, um, you know, so when I, when I bring something in to me, it's like a finished thing. It's like, no, no, trust me guys. Like I tested it out. I tried all the, all the options and all the permutations, like this is the way to go. And then when there's like a, you know, another idea about it, I, you know, I don't always react <laughs> so uh, so well to that to that type type of input. Was there ever an idea or something you came up with that you were really married to, but it, you know, the majority decided to go in a different direction and you had to drop it? No, nah, nothing. Not nah, not that extreme. Um, you know, and again, it's all it's about having the best the best material and the and the best idea. So, you know, nothing in I, I learned where to choose my battles and, you know, everybody, everybody goes home happy. Yeah. Cause I feel like the best idea will ultimately bubble to the top. Like there's, there's been times where I'm stuck on something and someone introduces something new and I'm like, this is annoying. I had it done, but the new thing ends up being better. So I, I don't, I don't have to like dig my heels in. Yeah. And it'll be like obvious when it's, when something's better. And like Will Putney, who we recorded the last two records with, <clears throat> he's like amazing at being that kind of unbiased third party that's also invested in the project being as good as it can be he's 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 absolutely great at that whether telling he he earned my trust very early on on both records with you know understanding the idea and 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 helping us helping me realize it and he's just great about giving that feedback and challenging me when and challenging us when we need to be challenged and and helping us get it make make things as strong as possible without you know feelings aside that's great. Yeah. I mean, having an outside voice like that, producer especially, was really got to help things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And Will, Will's the best. 
You guys opened for uh, Glassjaw for one of their anniversary shows, right? We actually got to do uh, six dates of their uh, anniversary tour, uh, which which for Incendiary is like a fucking world tour. Yeah. (laughs) How, I mean, how was that? How, when do you get word about that? That was, I mean, that was one of the coolest things we've ever done. I'm a huge Glassjaw fan. Um, They, they were played the first hardcore show I went to. They're, I kind of, my musical tastes have kind of evolved with their sound. I've always been, you know, inspired with, you know, the way they operate their bands, you know, administratively, the way they, you know, kind of have like a similar model where they they don't do a whole lot, but when they do, they make it feel like an important thing. So, yeah, I mean, um, a a friend of ours and a friend of the man's um, works with Glass John, you know, and helps put those shows together. Um, He obviously knows about Incendiary um, and yeah, we got the phone call and, you know, it was really an ideal offer because, you know, Glassjaw now is on a similar plan as Incendiary where they're trying to cover some ground, but also not be away from home for, you know, long stretches at a time. So they gave us a bunch of dates and were really very generous about like, you guys are welcome to join as many or as little as you can do. And we were like, we're going to do as many of these goddamn things as humanly possible, because this is one of the coolest opportunities that's come across this band in our, in our history. And uh, yeah, we were able to do, I think it was a total of six, six shows with them. That's amazing. Now yeah. you said uh Glassjaw played the first hardcore show you ever went to. Yep. When was this? It was 1997. It was at the center each VFW Hall. Center Reach is the town I'm from on Long Island. And the show was Shut Down, Glass Jaw, One for One, Motive, and a few others. Wow, great show. Yeah, it was awesome. Had, so uh, were, were you listening to the music before this, or was it the show that kind of sold you on everything? Um, it was the show that sold me on everything. It was one of those, like, I heard that there was something happening at the VF, a show happening at the VFW and went in totally blind and clueless and left with like having my mind absolutely blown. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I remembered Glassjaw said or what they sounded like or anything, but like among all the things that blew my mind at that, like they, they were definitely part of it. That's amazing. The same thing happened to me. The first big hardcore show I went to, I had absolutely no idea what to expect and I was completely scared for my life during the show because there was a lot of antics during it. And hey, look, uh, 20 plus years later, I'm still listening to everything. Yeah, I miss that though, man. I miss that feeling of like, I'm doing something because it was a VFW I'm in my town. I'm like, oh, I'm doing something here. I'm like not supposed to be doing like it felt, it felt <laughs> cool. <laughs> Yeah, I think that I think that's missing in uh, I I hope there's still thriving local scenes out there with a lot of amazing bands playing. I I don't know if there is because well, I'm not living in those towns anymore, but I hope it's still happening. Yeah, I think I, there is. Um and, you know, I can only really speak to Long Island. Um and you know, Long Island's culture was always in the VFWs and the, you know, catering halls and whatever. Um and there's definitely still a value placed on that even though venues like Amityville Music Hall, which is a bar, are the you know backbone of Long Island hardcore right now and a stable institution that allow open their doors to shows every night of the week. There definitely is still like a reverence for the VFW show. I know Scanlon has been working hard, he's a promoter on Long Island, has been working hard to uh to get the Massapequa VFW having shows and opening their doors again. They I guess the best example um two weeks ago silent majority like legendary long island band right you know after their their main brooklyn reunion show was announced 
they announced a VFW hall show at the Massapequa VFW. And like, just to kind of honor that kind of tradition and that vibe and that feeling that everybody still loves and still wants to experience again. Like they, they played at the VFW and it was awesome. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. And it must've been amazing for you. I mean, Glassjaw plays the first hardcore show you ever go to. I assume they're playing a lot of everything you wanted to know about silence material. This is before that. This is oh, like even before just, yeah, <clears throat> like maybe kiss, kiss, bang, bang, but like just straight up hardcore band. Yeah. Ah, but it must have still been just mind blowing to end up on that anniversary tour all these years later. Oh, definitely. I mean, I'd been a fan of the band and seen them evolve and, and been to all the shows along the way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely. And I mean, Beck is a guitar player. Like, even if you don't hear it in the stuff Incendiary comes out with, like huge inspiration and just nobody plays like that guy and to get to watch him play every night and have him like he cared about incendiary he would give us very like constructive criticism and like watch our set and like give a fuck above and beyond you know his his call of duty um was was very flattering and and just just an amazing experience all around wow yeah glass you know when i think uh 2002 i was into their first record on roadrunner and then of course uh worship and tribute but Glassjaw, more than most bands, I think, just hugely, hugely influential and were just the top of the top uh, in 2002 and and now still. Yeah, without a doubt. I'm glad you said that. And now still, because the record they put out in 2017, Material Control, Yeah. um, personally, I feel like it's a bit overlooked, but they put out a ripping post-hardcore record that is like laser focused at the exact slice of hardcore that that i love that kind of little little more dissonant angular post hardcore but very new york sounding still um and they absolutely nailed it and i fucking love that record yeah yeah absolutely and i i really appreciate them both in musically and just you know you mentioned just how they handle things and i i don't know them but i can just tell that they take it very seriously for sure so I, me and everyone else takes it very seriously. Like, uh, like you see them live, they look good. They look professional. They have some of the best looking merch I've ever seen. Yeah. They have great style and aesthetic. So, you know, they've got it all. The whole package. Yep. So incendiary. Now, now we're talking about the new record. We've got that coming out. We must be pretty excited about that. Obviously. Yeah. The people are very excited based on uh, what I'm seeing online. Yeah, it's hard. It's, you know, it's always hard to hard to say, but you know, all the the feedback I've seen has been has been very positive, and it's it's very flattering and nice to uh, to get it out there. I mean, we recorded the record um, a f- almost a full year ago, last last May. Um, so we'd been keeping it close to the chest and keeping it pretty private, you know, because we didn't want even within our our friend circles, right? Like we didn't want people to be kind of over it by the time it actually comes out. <laughs> so we haven't really gotten much feedback. Um, at all on it until until very recently so seeing uh starting to see some of the uh some of the reactions to it coming in has been has been very nice and, and flattering yeah that's a smart plan like you don't you don't want your friends to be sick of it before it even comes out <laughs> yeah exactly or like anybody so like we kind of we really downplayed it we didn't really share links or or show anybody you know a couple couple close buddies I'll sh- i showed my car which is just like one of my favorite experiences about having new music or any of my friends putting out new music i really value that the like Hey, come, come, come check out this new stuff. I want to show you. And like, um, so getting able to being able to do that with a couple of, uh, of my close friends and, you know, qualified opinions, like the, the feedback I was looking for and the people I, I did want to share it with prior to its release 
were other people in bands and songwriters that you know I you know I admire and and I uh, I identify with like getting their feedback. People have made records and written songs before, you know, sending it to some of my friends who just like hardcore for them to tell me, yeah, man, sounds sick. Like you know, it doesn't <laughs> that doesn't give me a whole lot. I'm glad they like it, but like you know, sharing it with other musicians, songwriters, and people who have made records and getting their their feedback on things like the production and the arrangements and and stuff like that. That was really what I was looking for with the with the handful of people that I, I did share it with. Yeah. I mean, as you're growing and progressing as a band, you, you want to hear from other songwriters, maybe people more experienced than you, maybe people on your level to just, uh, I don't know, get ideas or that's how you learn from talking to other people. Yeah. And like, you know, I like seeing like literally seeing with my eyes in real life, how somebody is reacting to the music, you know, like being able to see like, Oh, they're like, they perked up at that part or like, Oh, they, they like that, that part hit them hard. I could, I can see a reaction to it. And you don't get that. If I just like send a link out into the ether and they check it out when they check it out. And like, next time I see them like, Oh yeah, yeah, sounds good. Like I, I really like, I don't know, maybe it's selfish, but like if I'm sharing it with, with someone ahead of time, like I want, I want there to be something in it for me. Like I want to get, I want to get some feedback out of that. Yeah. Plus, if you don't want it to leak, you have to just show it to them in your car, right? You can't be sending stuff around because it's exactly. just gonna, it's going to end up somewhere. Yeah. And God forbid you show it to someone not a songwriter. Has that ever happened where you show it to someone who's like not a songwriter and they're like, oh, why didn't you try like doing this in this part? And you're like, uh... I mean, honestly, nobody's ever told me anything sucked to my face and I don't think <laughs> they would. Um, yeah. So again, that's why, you know, seeing some of the you know, organic feedback that's coming from the, from the public is, uh, is flattering. Cause it's like, they could tell me, and I'm sure people, there are people out there that say it sucks, but, um, you know, they, they don't, they're not trying to be nice to me. They have not, they don't have a dog in the fight. Yeah. And you know, if people are saying that, I just assume they're unhappy or something's going on because people on your level are higher. They will never say anything like that to you. Yeah. And like, honestly, like I, you know, people say it, but I genuinely like, I don't really care that much about out about like that type of feedback from the outside. Like I've never put out music that I wasn't so personally happy and satisfied and in love with that. I would, that I would let something like that get to me. You know what I mean? Like if I had doubts about something I would, I was putting out and then got negative feedback on that, I think it would kind of like validate those doubts but uh, I go, I go into it. I'm like, I love this stuff. If you don't like all good, but like that's on you because I think it rocks. <laughs> yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Plus everyone's entitled to their opinion, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't put out, I wouldn't put out anything if I didn't, if I felt any less than that. Like I used to be one of those kids who was on the internet saying everything sucks that I didn't like, or had never heard before. So I, I think that's, something people go through as well oh for sure and like again i mean we're an older band's fourth lp like i'm sure at this point people we're uh we like the old stuff better territory <laughs> um so it's all, it's all good it's just it's the it's the life cycle do you get any of that um shockingly not really um which is very fortunate like the fact that thousand mile stair songs go over just as well, if not better than cost of living songs, which I mentioned was kind of like our, you know, real turning point record in terms of like our, our, our success, um, is a, is a blessing. I mean, you know, 
people still checking out and being excited about the new material. I mean, that's every band's goal. We're definitely not a band of that people are like, oh, I like the demo better. Like nobody gives a fuck about the demo. <laughs> nobody gives a fuck about the first amongst the Phil seven inch. It kind of like maybe Crusade and maybe some of the split songs, um, but it really starts at cost of living um, and really continued into Thousand Mile Stair. And, you know, fingers crossed that, you know, um, people are still rocking with us on this new one. Is there ever any pressure from the label or anyone else? Like, cause you know, there's a number of years between records. Are they ever like, Hey, uh, you're going to do a new record or can, do you guys just get to decide when you're going to do things? Zero pressure at all. And it was just like, let me know when like that, that was it. Um, I couldn't imagine a better, you know, it being any other way. Um, no, no pressure at all, but it, it was clear that if we wanted to, like, the opportunity was always there from closed casket, which made it was, was a very comfortable position to be in, to have that kind of support. That's great because number one, they're a great label. So you're an awesome company. Yep. And number two, you just get to decide how you're going to do things and when you're going to do things. And I mean, you have everything that you need. You have the fan base, you've, you have the great music, you, you're getting good offers. Like it's, it's, it's all right there. Yeah. Yeah. We're in a very, very fortunate spot and we all, we all definitely recognize that. And we're all just thankful that we can still play, you know, a hardcore fest in Atlanta with all of the best up and coming young bands active today that are, you know, really the ones that are driving it forward for everybody and, you know, still get a warm reaction there and still, um, you know, earn a slot like we had at something like that. So let's talk about what we've got coming up now. We know we have the, the new record coming May 26th, right? Mm-hmm. we've got that we've got some select dates in june and july yes yep oh yeah tell us about that no that's that's really it you know we um we wanted to announce as much as possible all at once um to kind of you know show show people that like we are getting out there to support this material as best we can um and yeah, it's, it's all exciting stuff, man. Like we're doing um adjacent fest in Atlantic City, which is this big outdoor festival that um is being headlined by the the blink 182 turnstile tour literally the the weekend after the record comes out um which is a huge opportunity and it's going to be a super fun uh way to kind of celebrate the release and and, and kind of culminate the release um on a on a stage much bigger than than we're used to playing um so we got that coming up we're going to uh chicago and detroit um shortly after um both cities that were like top of the list for us to get back to Mostly because Chicago, we had to uh, cancel our last opportunity to play there, which was fucking heartbreaking. But what happened? Uh, Knock Loose asked us to play um, their kind of like, um, you know, shows are back show um, mm-hmm. which, when shows started coming back. And at the Metro, it was going to be a great show. Um, and there was a borderline hurricane in New York the night of our flight. And we got stranded at LaGuardia airport while the highways were shut down and we couldn't get out of there. Um, and it was a fucking disaster, man. Um, and ultimately had to cancel the show. And it was, it dude, it stung so bad because we were starved for shows at that point. I think we hadn't played a show at all yet. That that was going to be our first show back from in years since, since the pandemic. So to get it kind of taken away from us at the last minute again, kind of stung extra hard. And like, we are not in the business of canceling shows. We have done, gone through extensive lengths to, to avoid dropping shows. I think it might've been the second show we ever dropped, but all this to say, like it was very important to us that we make it up to Chicago. Um, and then 
so we got a great opportunity to do that with uh with drain and never ending game and drug church and a, and, a, and a bunch of great bands we're doing tied down fest in detroit the following day which detroit's a city that has always been good to us even though we've only played it uh twice i believe um the lineup is stacked with with a lot of friends bands um so we're looking forward to that we're going back to philly with just just a headlining show with uh some some great you know like regional bands uh volcano simulacra and scarab bands that like we all i personally think are fucking sick and we're like excited to see let alone play with um so we have a great great lineup there and philly has always been good to us too whether it was some of our uh you know this is hardcore fest sets which were some of the best sets the bands ever had or you know our last show playing at the the first unitarian church which is you know legendary venue um, oh yeah they've, they've always given philly's always given us some of some of the best shows we've had so we're, we're excited to get back there philly is a great city for hardcore and a great city for music in general i grew up outside the city oh, and cool. yeah, i lived you know. in the city for a long time so I, I my heart is always there got it yeah yeah and we playing the church i think it was 2019 or early 2020 yeah we played we played a headliner at, a chur- at the church which was like you know that's like one of those venues right that's like playing gilman street in in the bay area or yep you know cbgb's in new york um when when that was still around like philly the church is that for philly so that was like an extra cool one and, and then to have like an amazing show there was, was was even better um so that was another one where it's like all right we got to go back to philly on a new record and then then we're hitting the west coast we're doing two shows in southern california one at chain reaction which is you know similar to you know the church example of like you know a venue that we've kind of always you know watched cool shows happen at from the east coast um so having opportunity to play there is is exciting and then a uh, a bigger show in la proper at 1720 with uh with mind force and take offense two great bands that we've been friends with for a long time so yeah man i mean we really we really got we couldn't couldn't be happier with with the amount of shows and who they're with and and where they are. Um, you know, we're we're I guess we're taking a, a quality over quantity approach here, but feel really good about all the uh, everything we have coming up. Amazing, amazing. So, what do you do outside of the band? What are some of the things you're interested in? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been hard to say because the band has been so consuming for uh, the last couple months leading up to this rollout. But um, I train Muay Thai, kickboxing. Oh, two, nice. Three, three three times a week. Yeah, not um you know, no aspirations to, to compete or anything like that, but I'm part of a, a great gym in Bushwick called uh, physical culture collective, uh, slash diamond heart. That's actually run by, uh, Gavin Van Vlack from burn. Um, oh, nice. and kind of, yeah. And kind of, uh, attracts a lot of, you know, people, musicians, artists, people who, you know, may not have gotten into a combat sport, if not for someone kind of, uh, filtering it for them, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I do that, and that's that's a pretty big part of my life. I, I take that. Um, I, I value the time I put into that. Um, have a great girlfriend here in Brooklyn. I spend a lot of time with. We love going to the beach. Um, do you guys live together? Um, shortly. Oh, yeah. Shortly. Have you have you have you ever lived with a partner before? I have not. Me neither. I, it almost happened a couple times, but uh, hey, we didn't make it. Yeah, that's all, it's all good. Yeah, I mean, we you know we started we started dating just before the pandemic, so that was like a good stress test. Like, if it was if it wasn't going to work, we were going to know pretty quick. <laughs> so I was going to ask a, a follow up question and say, "Are you nervous?" But it sounds like no, because it, it's been field tested, right? Yeah, yeah, we'll be fine. That's good. That's good. And uh, yeah, the Muay Thai is good. You keep the mind and body sharp, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, it's great, man. It's a great way to clear your head after work, get a great workout. There's a social aspect. I meet a lot of cool people there that kind of keep you engaged and keep you going. Um, yeah, my only my only regret is that I didn't find it earlier in life because, you know, starting a combat sport in your 30s, you know, <laughs> your body is not, you know, your body definitely reminds you that you should have started earlier. <laughs> Yeah, I'm 41 now and I, I you know, I make myself do like this little workout at home just to not completely fall apart, but uh you, you start to feel it. Yeah, listen man, if you want to come check out a class, I'll uh I'm happy to bring you down. I think uh I think I might have to do that at some point. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh Brian, I uh I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. I'm really excited for the new record. I think a lot of people out there are and uh I can't wait for more. So, thank you. Hey, thank you, man. This was a blast. I appreciate your your enthusiasm about, about the record and everything we're doing. And um, yeah, thanks for all the kind words and the support. And there you have it. Brian Audley. Great guy. Great band. Excellent conversation. Glad I got to speak to Brian. Glad Incendiary seems to be doing so well. Those pictures of them playing at Jason Fest look really cool. Them out on, you know, the beach in the background. The album is just killer. I love the whole album, but that that last breakdown in the first song on the record, I can't remember the name of the song. Holy cow. I just kept rewinding that on Spotify the other day and listening to it. Really awesome band, you know. I always think of... uh 2018. It was a it was a hard year for me, but I look back on it fondly now because I you know I just used to walk around all the time listening to Spotify, listening to Spotify radio, discovering a ton of new bands, sending them all to Tommy and telling him to listen to them because he was the only person that would actually listen to them and uh, engage in conversation with me. And Incendiary was one of those bands. I remember hearing Front Toward Enemy for the first time, and I was like, "Whoa, who are these guys?" And where have I been all these years? Awesome stuff. So thank you so much, Brian, for coming on the show. All right, so here's how I'm doing. Wait, no. First, let me ask, how are you doing out there, huh? How are you doing? Okay, I hope. Me, I'm busy. There's a lot of stuff going on here. It's a Wednesday before the Darling Fire Tour as I record this. I'm scrambling to get a bunch of work done. And then I'm going to pack, and then I got to pack all the equipment. It, it's going to be a long night, but I'm really excited to play these shows. These will be the first shows I've played in seven years, and I've been preparing a lot for it. So I'm ready. As long as I walk up on that stage and plug everything in and it works, I'm ready. I'm ready to go, and I'm really excited to play because the Darling Fire is awesome, and I'm happy to be part of the band. And we get to be out with Spotlights. And I'm really excited to see them. I haven't seen them yet, but their record is easily one of their new record is easily one of my favorites of the year. So it's going to be a really, really fun seven days, and I can't wait. So if you are in the Southeast, Florida, and South Carolina, come to a show. Say hi. As you listen to this right now, I am on the tour, and I hope I'm having a good time. But as I record this, New York City is enveloped in smoke. Do you see this thing on the news? Uh, Canada, wildfires. Somehow all the smoke has made it to New York City. And depending on when you look outside, it can look kind of normal or it can look like Silent Hill out there. Earlier today, it was 2 p.m. 
And I looked outside and everything was dark and yellow and covered in smoke. And I know this is bad and, you know, climate disaster and all that stuff, but it looked cool. Okay. It looked cool. I went outside for a second and and just took a look around and I don't know, call me crazy, but it, it just made me want to go outside and check things out. Uh, otherwise, everything's all right. I'm getting over being sick. Thank goodness I got sick right before the tour and not on the tour because I don't want to be sick and miserable on my first tour in God knows how many years. And I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm excited to play these shows. Everything else is going good in life. No complaints right now. So that's it. That is it. You know, during the conversation with Brian, there was a lot of good Glassjaw talk towards the end there, right? Incendiary did that run of Glassjaw shows for the Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Silence anniversary tour, right? Yeah. So in light of that discussion, we are going to end this show with the remix of Midwestern Stylings by Glassjaw. I used to stay up till the wee hours of the morning listening to this and getting high and wishing I could be in a band half this good. So we will end the show with that song. And I'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So thanks everybody for listening. And until next time.